When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome. No, this is not cabaret, it's Think About It, a podcast about the power of ideas and how language can change the world, with Uli Baer. How should a university deal with its past complicities, with slavery and so-called scientific racism? Today, I'm joined on Unmuted by Salma Abdelrahman, who's a rising junior at Harvard College and a former member of Harvard's Undergraduate Council. She talks to me about Harvard's history as a center for the development of ideas of so-called scientific racism and the efforts to organize counter-events to controversial speakers. I'm really excited to talk today to Selma Abdelrahman, who is a rising junior at Harvard College. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, that's so correct. So she's been for two years now in the thick of American college life. And Selma, you've written really great pieces for the Crimson, the student newspaper so at Harvard much. College, which really resonate with a lot of people. So I really appreciate that you're taking the time to talk to me. And I would yeah, love to sure. hear a bit more. You also have a great presence online. The Fabula Rasa <laughs> project is awesome. Oh, you found that. <laughs> I found that project. <laughs> so now yeah. everyone's going to find it. That's, that's a younger me. Okay, well, it, it's good. You have a voice, so that's important to use it. Yeah. And so I thought we could start maybe by saying a little bit how you came into this, you know, being a student now for just completing your second year and how you viewed all these speech controversies or let's say learning opportunities we hope for <laughs> for all of us yeah it's sort of a, a long journey to being invested in campus politics especially politics around free speech so I came in freshman year and I was like I'm gonna give myself just a little time to adjust to college Harvard is big and scary and so I did that for my first semester and then for my second semester I came back Trump was elected at this point, and I was like, I need to do more than I've been doing. Okay. So I ran for student government for the undergraduate council and won that election and essentially was thrust into campus politics. But campus politics are not often national politics. At Harvard, it sort of focuses around, like, when are the dining halls open and what are the programs that are offered to students and so, so you kind know, of like it a was grassroots kind of local concerns, right. like as if you were in local right. office. Yeah. OK. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. And then summer came. We were fighting for a program for low income students for the summer called like a summer bridge program in order to adjust to Harvard life and understand like when to go to office hours with professors and that kind of thing. And a few of my friends and I were working on that. And then we sort of 
put stuff on hold for the summer. You know, school's not happening. I was working at a summer camp and that took up most of my time. But I got a text in the middle of the summer, not in the middle of the summer, towards the end. It was a text from my friend, Nicholas, who I'm now very close friends with because of this process that we underwent that I'll get into now. But I got a text and it was, you know, Charles Murray is coming to campus the first week that we get back. So what what are we going to do? Okay. And I remember fr- my freshman spring, which was the spring right before I was working at the summer camp. So 2017, was, right? Yes. That's all about, it's all 2017. Yeah. 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 We were in a town hall meeting with the dean of students and a few other administrators at Harvard. And he got a message while we were at the town hall about what had happened with Charles Murray. I think it was at, it was in Middlebury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we saw those like look of frustration and the, Oh, that would never ha- happen at Harvard. Our students are, are different. And so it was, it was funny that Charles Murray was first of all, even coming to campus. And so we were like, we can't let this happen without a response. There needs to be some kind of response to a speaker like this being invited to campus. And in my first week of classes, we were learning about polygenesis and, you know, the view that like black people were of a different race and how people like Agassi and, you know, people that were very big names on our campus had furthered that view. And then to see Charles Murray publish in his book, The Bell Curve, sort of the same line of thinking was really just like mind-boggling. But that's um, interesting. So if I could just recap. So first of all, you get a message over the summer when you're not really in college because there's national interest and it exceeds what happens on a college campus, clearly, right? Right. And then secondly, right. and then you are at a university where the name Agassiz is attached to museums and programs, a very, you know, revered, yeah. honored member of the intellectual community who has promoted views in the long-gone past that we've presumably moved beyond or settled as false, misleading, and pernicious, right? So in some ways, right. so you are making a connection saying, I'm in an institution, they're bringing someone in just to have a conversation, but there are other factors that you're learning about how this institution operates, who it honors and what names right. are attached. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and so, I mean, we were thrust into basically creating a response to his invitation. We planned everything out very intentionally. It was me and three other people, the Black Caucus of the Undergraduate Council, essentially. And then we worked with people who had organizing experience on campus in the past and also leaders of the Black community and organized just like a very intentional response because our thinking was if this gets out of hand, if the response to this event gets out of hand, then we play into the narrative that free speech is under attack, right? Okay. So so you were really aware of what had happened at other schools, and you didn't yeah. want this to become a spectacle of sh- a shouting match where the media just right. sees the breakdown of speech and sees this is, this is what happens. Right, right. And so, you know, we it was something that we were thinking about very intentionally. And even though this was an event, you know, about like Trump voters in the South and, and some people were calling an event, an event about race. It was an event really about like testing the limits of free speech on campus. And that like, it was like, that was what everyone was saying. It was a test. 
right. made by the Harvard College Open Campus Initiative. Okay. And he was essentially a spectacle for this like abstract concept of freedom of speech being under attack on the national level. And so we were in a game, essentially. Our response was predicted by the people who invited him. And so we were operating in this like weird confine of we're not going to not respond. That means that, you know, hatred on our campus goes unchecked. The way that we respond is extremely important and indicative of how we approach racial politics and free speech politics combined. What you're describing is that there's this whole debate about free speech and there are the rules of the game and what's permissible, but you're also in another game or set up in a way or a framing where you're saying you're already being set up to respond certain ways and people will interpret it in certain ways. It's really right, interesting. Exactly. So, so you have to be very cognizant. You say, whatever we do, there will be public scrutiny and people will yeah. say, you're taking this side or you're taking that side. And their side, the OCI, the, the, uh, the Open Campus Initiative, their side is, we're just for free speech. We don't look yeah. at the viewpoint. We are neutral. And you're yeah. saying, well, Charles Murray stands for something and he now stands for two things, which is his views and a provocation. Anybody who's against him is against free speech, not against Charles Murray. Right. Right. So it becomes a tricky right. thing. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what we did is we organized the rally in response that was happening at the same time that people were walking into the Charles Murray event. And it was really f interesting. It happened on the lawn right in front of a building that had Agassiz's name branded on the front. And it was just crazy that we were learning about this in our classes and thinking about, you know, the impact that Agassiz had on campus and why he's so revered and what we choose to overlook in order to revere him and seeing the same thing happening just in, a, in an auditorium in the room nearby. And so we had the rally. It was raining, but a lot of people still showed up. We had a few speakers talking about how it was really just a, you know, something, this is, this is funny because the conversations that we had after the event, a lot of people from the Open Campus Initiative reached out to me and Nicholas wanting to talk because we were the lead organizers of the rally and the event happening afterwards. And they said constantly, it was never in our intention to make anyone feel unwelcome on this campus. It was never our intention to make anyone feel unsafe or feel like they didn't belong here. And I was like, have you not been listening so many people in the Black community, so many people in the Latinx community, so many women feel that you giving this person a platform on our campus is necessarily wrong. And have you not been listening? And that was clearly part of your intention if you just chose to ignore the cries for don't do this. That and, happened in advance of the event. And your position to not have this event happen is, as you're saying, because it will make whole members of this community feel unwelcome, that they are, don't have the right or the prerogative to participate, although you all admitted students, you've all gone through this right. difficult process. So you all have, once you're there, you've all been through this incredibly difficult vetting process. You should all have right. the right to be there, to participate on equal terms in this community 
So they're saying we didn't mean to make anybody feel they don't belong, and you're saying that's exactly what you're doing with this invitation. Right, that's and quite honestly, arguably, exactly what they were intending to do. Testing the limits of free speech is coded in that way. Who are we testing the limits for? Is it for the people that complain all the time about not feeling safe on campus, and who are are those people? It was just really interesting to hear them respond after the event happened to those claims of, you did this on purpose. We know that. And also, like, it wasn't even just about our community. This issue, interestingly enough, Charles Murray, whose sociology has been debunked. I'm a sociology concentrator, and just hearing faculty in the sociology department talk about him, they laugh. It's like, this is bad science. This is bad social science, right? And to have someone come to campus and be given a national voice and a national platform that is the Harvard undergraduate community and the Harvard just uh, graduate community coming together to listen to someone, that extends beyond us feeling unsafe or unwelcome. It was, we are willing to hear out this person who has been shown to have shoddy politics and bad science overall. And so why, why, why are we doing that? Interesting. I mean, this is really interesting what you're saying, because when you're saying the faculty have largely accepted the view that this is bad science. It's been disproven from the mismeasure of man to a lot of other scholars. So he wasn't invited as a scholar to debate in the sociology department, right? It wasn't, right. although they said, well, it's not about the Bellicorp, it's about something else. And you're saying the framing of this is actually pretty clear of what is supposed to be signaled here, is that this is a yeah. kind of thinking from Agassi to today, that these institutions are not welcoming everybody. Yeah, it's, it's, and that these institutions have used their positionality as sort of the intellectual guiding lights for active harm before. And that was exactly what was happening now. Interesting. Could you say a little bit more about that? That's a, it's a really difficult thing to parse and take apart, right? Yeah. So you're saying they've been the intellectual yeah. guiding light so because they have condoned or embraced or like what's the role yeah. of the institution? Yeah. You know, I think it, institutions are made up of, of people, right? Thinking back to Agassi, he commissioned the Zeely daguerreotypes that are housed in Harvard's archaeological museum now that are made to show that slaves are not people, right? Like that was the premise under which they were commissioned and used Harvard's institutional name to further that argument. The same thing, you know, inviting Charles Murray to campus and giving him that kind of platform was the same kind of move on the right. part of Harvard. And, you know, it, it was Harvard undergraduate students. I'm not saying that the administration invited and condoned this, but an institution is made of people. Right. And as members of the community, we have a responsibility. We are active participants in an institution and make up the institution, inviting and giving that kind of voice and giving that kind of platform was really a political move. And right one that was intentional and even if it was a willful ignorance and a, a willful omittance of his politics on race and ethnicity and, it and, was willful and you had made this clear in your preparation for the kind of counter event to say this is something we find not just problematic but it goes against the values of this institution and then the right. the open campus initiative people so you're saying, I'm just trying to get a larger sense of their response. They're saying, we weren't aware of this, or this was not our intention. 
But you're saying yeah. you could have been aware of it and you could know that this is your intention because we, we actually underscored that. We're saying this is what you're yeah. effectively doing. We right. published an op-ed before the event as well. So you so, actually took the work to lay out your argument, give reasons, think it through. It wasn't that you just stood in front of a building with the proverbial megaphone, which the press likes to put pictures up in the newspaper. So you did the yeah, work. Yeah, seen that picture then. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pervasive picture that's like a stock image, for, not about you, but about everybody. So, but what you're yeah. saying is you've done the work, and that's what a university does. And when the university undertakes this work, should this open campus initiative then at some point say, look, we get it. This is the signal we're really sending. Did they acknowledge that and say, this is really a political test? This is not about the scholarship of Charles Murray. I mean, no, never. Because if, if you admit to it being a political test, then, I mean, the argument becomes moot. No, no one ever yeah. acknowledged that on their end. But we knew at the counter event that we hosted that we had a few faculty members speak at doing the same thing, debunking the politics of Charles Murray and his argument in the bell curve. Walter Johnson called it a test. They brought in a statue and were like, how are you going to respond? And not responding is a political message in and of itself. Like we had no, no choice but to respond because right. the act of not responding means condoning. Right. And so... It was just the way that we responded was going to be indicative of the politics of free speech on Harvard's campus. Right. And even though it was just like me and four other people in the room, it's crazy how our decisions came to shape how Harvard undergraduate students would be viewed as either being against or for or advocates of or people who are, you know, want to take down the First Amendment like that. Right. those decisions made a big difference. And I don't think we realized how, how we'd be like the surrogates for that right. coming in, but it was, it was interesting. Right. First of all, everyone knows that the First Amendment is a very powerful and important law that has no bearing on a private university's operation. So in some ways, it's not quite the right lens. But I want to go back to something you just said about condoning. So in the middle of this conversation is that this question of when you bring somebody to campus, does the institution condone the message? Or because there's a lot of people who will make this argument and say, oh, no, 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 we're just giving this kind of abstract license to speak, but we are totally against the message itself. This kind of strange That's, artificial yeah. distinction. Yeah. And you think what's complicated, how do you maintain that to keep on saying, oh, we, we disagree with him so strongly, but we must absolutely have him on campus and speak? Yeah. Where do we draw the line, right? This is something I'm still struggling with because you're right. Everyone has a right to speak. That is the First Amendment. But, you know, maybe then it requires a real conversation around where will we draw the line? Like, where have we drawn the line in the past and where has that ended us up? Yes. Like, where has that taken our institution and who do we revere and what mistakes have been caused by our willingness to embrace messages we know are morally wrong? You know, let's think about the present in the context of the past. Let's have this conversation. I wasn't in the room with administrators when they were having those discussions, but I don't know that those discussions ever happened. I don't know that, you know, a real intentional 
conversation around free speech and what our campus's politics are. And, you know, the message of racial inferiority, where do we draw the line? And no response was made after after he was invited to campus. The college never, you know, reiterated their commitment to black and brown students on campus. That was all put in the hands of the student organizations on campus. And to see how little of a response there was from administrators other than just standing back and saying everyone has a right to speak and if you need security, we'll provide security and that's really it. So what you're calling out, if you're an institution and you want to claim this mantle of neutrality and say some person will come and they may be having a viewpoint we all disagree with, but you're saying afterwards or during that, does the institution actually articulate its values and say we really oppose this? We yeah. may have this as an intellectual exercise or a political test. Maybe even right. saying we must test these limits all the time or we don't want to silence one group of students. But we nonetheless have a very, very strong position. And you're saying it wasn't as clear in the aftermath where's the institution in relation to this particular point of racial inferiority, which is right. part of Murray's message. Right. So I think that's an interesting thing you're surfacing to say we are part of the institution But why do we have to bring attention to the fact that this runs counter to what the professed values are? Right, exactly. Sometimes I, it really frustrates me that this is a conversation that's framed as you are against or you are for free speech because it's not. It's about the message that is being spoken and it depends so often on the context and the speaker themselves. The answer doesn't have to be stifling free speech, but... The absence of speech also sends a message, right? Like the absence of a response from the university sends a message. It doesn't have to be about not inviting yeah. someone to campus. That was yeah. not what we were asking, right? right? It was the invitation of this person by a student organization sends a message that, you know, people are not welcome here. And this was coming on the aftermath of violence in Charleston and a white supremacist rally happening in the Boston Commons. So like, This was all the buildup coming up right. to, you know, Charles Murray being invited to campus. People were already extremely anxious. Right. And then seeing Charles Murray on campus, that anxiety was confirmed. Right. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be about not inviting someone, but an adequate enough response was never there. Right. And a creative enough solution that was not about disinviting someone or limiting or stifling free speech, but a response was absent. It really frustrates me that our conversations stop at was the speaker invited or disinvited because response to speech is also extremely, extremely necessary and sends a message in and of itself. And so, you know, it's funny because I know that with our response to Charles Murray, we were automatically painted as the people who were saying, oh, disinvite him bring him off campus, and we were painted as the people who were advocating against free speech, that's not where we stood, right? Yeah. Our stance was we are responding to something that sends a very clear political message because no one else will. Right. The university won't. The college won't. Right. And so who's going to do it? And it was us. And, and you took, actually, some of the available means, including writing an editorial including mm -hmm. having an event, including doing a teach-in. So you actually exercised all these things people celebrate all the time, and yet you're painted as 
the people who right. are against free speech. Right. It's it's interesting. It's, it's really yeah. It's really funny the way that our rally, which is, I think, the embodiment of the First Amendment, exercised right, like right, right. was portrayed as people standing up against the First Amendment which was hardly what was happening, right? And I think people just needed to take two steps back and be like, this is free speech and this is also free speech. Right. Rather than this is not and this is. Why do you think that the public debate is framed in this way? Why is it so simple for people to fall back on, well, this person, this provocateur, this racist, this firebrand has to speak and if he doesn't or she doesn't, then we have the end of free speech. It's a frustrating experience. You yeah. should have been celebrated as the free speech advocates in Harvard College right now are doing a teach-in, writing editorials, doing a protest. That's right. actually the exit of political speech. And so right. why do you think that happens in this way? And as a student, I know you've been on the, it's the undergraduate council, right? So you've also mm -hmm. been in student leadership. So you've tr you're trying to shape an institution and make it better and work f for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I have, I have no idea. It's frustrating. It, it really is because, I mean, so much, so much happens and so much did happen in, in response to people like Charles Murray coming onto campus because it showed the lengths that people on our own campus were willing to go to, you know, test something out without recognition of like what active harm that was causing and what political message that was sending. I'm just thinking back to like who is in the room organizing the rally with us, who is speaking at the rally. Yes. Those were all people who were working actively. Like it was a ton of undergraduate council members, people who had been leading protests and organizing against hatred on campus for years at that point. And people who were actively committed to bettering campus for people who genuinely felt unwelcome. And it seemed like we were up against these people who were kind of like, oh, we're just going to test something out. Like, we're just going to test out how far free speech can go. Right. On our end, it was, this is not just testing something out. This has broad implications for students of color on campus. This has broad implications for students of color on a national level and the debate and theories of polygenesis on a national level. This is not just testing something out. I don't know why there is that sort of binarism between like you are for or against free speech. Right. I, I can't tell you where that comes from, I, but I, I know that, that the framing of it necessarily means that our role as advocates and activists on campus are fundamentally misrepresented and made smaller in order to fit us into a box of these people are against free speech. Like that's not, that's not who we are. Right. never has been right and the work that we do can't be erased because of that and i think that that's how it has been framed in order in order to make it so that we don't consider the broader work that people do on campus right. i don't know this is something it's, i'll have to think on. it's interesting i have a, a sense i don't know i'd be curious what you think i think people respond very viscerally to the concept and the word free speech because they think it's my speech and what I say and I want to say it the way I want to say it and you can't mm -hmm. stop me. The other thing you're touching on is the experience of especially students of color in big institutions or large elite institutions or all public, private, that it's an equality issue and that is secondary to people in a position of privilege or power. So 
for me as a white man in America, it's intuitive to defend my own freedom to say whatever I want. Equality usually is about other people. So it's mm-hmm. almost like a secondary concern. So, mm-hmm. so what you're saying is what's really interesting, that you've exercised your free speech rights and you've demonstrated your capacity and skill to have an informed, reasoned debate and all that. But people are saying that's not about free speech. That's about something else. Or you're not really, we are the ones who own free speech. Right. And not accidentally, we're the ones who are defending a mindset in America from Agassiz to Charles Murray that's about, you know, white people belong here, black people don't belong here. This really simple binary. Why is it that free speech is then taken away from people who challenge this binary and say, we are the ones who are making America real? I actually think this is what America is, that people actually can speak up and say, how do we make this a better place? When the Open Campus Initiative... So how mm-hmm. did they end up? You had a conversation and they said, oh, we didn't, we didn't mean to do what we did. We were not quite sure. Then they walked away and said, well, next event or... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, th- I guess the response to this is, is really interesting. I remember just being so frustrated with how this went over. So someone c- came up to me just like we were walking by each other on the way to class and they were like, let's have lunch to talk about what happened. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And we got into a conversation and it was essentially like they were accusing me of never having read Charles Murray's work, which was not true or fair because I had and I'd done so with a professor. And they were saying that, oh, you're one of the exceptions. Not many people have taken a a second to read his work, which was also not true. And they were also minimizing. If you go back and read Charles Murray's two chapters on race in the bell curve, it's actually quite appalling the language that he uses. It's it's very scary. And to hear them minimize that was really tough. And then they were saying, you know, it was never our intention to hurt anyone. And I was saying, then you just weren't listening. Did you ask them, did you read Charles Murray and why are you bringing this idea? Yeah, they, it, the response was, this is not an event about race. So like this is that. amazing. So you're, you're told you haven't read this, you haven't done the work. And you said, actually, I have. And they're saying, oh, we're not even looking at Charles Murray. We're just doing this event for other reasons, because now yeah. it's about voting behavior or who knows what yeah. other book he has. So in some ways, it's a double bind. You can't do right. You've done the work, and I say, you didn't do the right work. You read the wrong right. book, and we're doing it about something else. Yeah. You know, I told them, well, you haven't been listening if, if the intention was never to harm people on campus. And they were like, maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to open our ears further. And I was like, okay, there's an event happening today. It was about the Muslim experience after 9-11 and increased surveilling of communities. And I invited them on Facebook and they said they were going. And then I show up to the event and they're not there. And I was like, that's, that's really challenging to go through the work of getting someone to come to an event because they say that they want to hear out the struggles of students of color on campus and in America, and then they just don't show up. That was really, really challenging. So it sounds to me like when I listen to this, you think you really made a good faith effort to engage with the, this other side and come up with a reasonable response, because as you pointed out, you didn't just go and turn off the lights or pull the fuse yeah. and shut that down. And then you're saying, where's the good faith effort on the other side? Yeah. To actually say, let's. So we have a point, and we have a claim, and we want you to be aware of it because it it spills out of this event into our whole experience here in right. the university. And you're saying, where's the good faith effort on the other side, especially by people who are advocating free speech, which is postulated on actually listening. 
If there's just right. free speech, lots of shouting for people everywhere to say what they want, that's not, there's no reason to protect it. <laughs> it's, right. It's to right. engage. So there wasn't that much engagement. How did the whole year play out for you? It's sort of interesting. So you stayed on the uh, undergraduate student council. And so how is that, yeah. how is that, how is that been sort of shaping an institution from the inside? <laughs> you know, I think that at some point I came to realize that I didn't come to Harvard to fix Harvard. And my work is now transferring out off campus. I am more engaged in stuff that's happening in the communities around our campus, more engaged with the Phillips Brooks House Association, because it just seemed to me that I didn't come to Harvard to further privilege some of the most privileged people in this institution. And also, I didn't come to Harvard to teach anyone about what it means to be a woman of color in America. Like, that's not I'm a student. I'm not a teacher. No one's paying me. So <laughs> right. I actually I had this conversation <laughs> yesterday with Nicholas. It's interesting. And I do want to note the irony that I'm kind of asking you about your experience at Harvard. And you're saying, this is not my job to explain to you my experience at yeah. Harvard. So I, so I actually want to, <laughs> no, I just want to say and point that out. Appreciation I have. I think it's awesome what you've written. I think it's really great that you've taken this voice. I think it's helped a lot of people see a dimension of this conflict that is lost in the media landscape because mm -hmm. it's Harvard. It's a big name. There's a controversy. It's five minutes on the news, an opinion piece, and then we move on. And you're saying there's something else at stake. It is really not, and I like the fact you've said several times, we are not against free speech. We are the people who are actually using speech to advance a cause and to actually bring something yeah. out that should be America's value, right? Yeah. In, in my view, at least. I think there should be a, a really pronounced and clear value, which is yeah. you know, equality guarantees, for instance. And and so you're taking your work out, and are you staying on the undergraduate council, or you don't think that's no. really your role right now? No, I've been asked to run for president, <laughs> and it was sort of like, it's either that or I leave, and president means that you invest a lot more time and energy into something that I was not feeling energetic about coming off the school year, and so... It's just following what I what my body's already been telling me that my energy comes from working in the communities that I care about rather than mm -hmm. in this community that is asking me to do so much and fix the institution and teach people without support from administrators oftentimes that's very very surface level support and so from from here on out I think I'm checking out tapping out of Harvard still going to classes of course and still engaging with my friends but the work that I do is much more needed and necessary other places. And I, I hate that Harvard, it, it's hard because, you know, this is the bubble we live in and this is the world and the life that we operate in. And when you see injustice on your level, it's so hard not to want to fix it. Right. But part of me is just saying, you know, like this bubble, this is my bubble of injustice in this huge, 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 much larger bubble of extreme privilege. And so I need to pop a bigger one the extreme privilege bubble and say there's actually much bigger things going on that need working on. So I hear you and they're probably interlinked and the, the strange yeah. and complicated thing about these old institutions is they have such resonance in the culture. So in some ways ad right. addressing something there, it resonates with people across the country. Are you addressing certain things? Although lots of people you know, don't go to Harvard and will not go to Harvard and that's fine for them. But, right. they're, but they're learning it. I wanted to ask you one more thing about the university in general, not Harvard. Do you think the university should be 
a kind of model for society or sort of a better version of it? Or sort of, shouldn't we try a little harder being in the university? Or should oh. it be, you know? I actually believe that, but <laughs> I'm not sure whether you yeah. think it's... <laughs> I mean, I think that it's funny because when you say like the university, I just think of this huge institution and the, and the way that I've interacted with it is pushing up against it. And if that was the entire world, I would be very, very frustrated all the, t all the time. <laughs> well. So, I mean, I don't know. I think that the model of a university comes with such big flaws and faults and until we address those things, until we address the fact that so often we ask people with the least power to fix the injustices that they see and until we work on those things, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to see that model expanded to society. Oh, but, okay. I see what you're saying. I just think, is it a testing ground in a good way, not just in a bad way? Also, could it be a way for people to interact and live together where, you know, so it could be a model and this is supposed to be, that's what a lot of universities, they all aspire to at least say that, right? They say right. this is how we should interact and so there should be rules. That's why I think these things are doubly upsetting when these conversations don't really take place and when you say like I'm not being listened to because in some right. ways the university should be the place where in my view students should be listened to right universities exist for two purposes is teaching and research and secondly where this is what should happen in society and in a democracy right. it's complicated that you should be listened to I want to go back to one point because Nicholas also said this and you just said this you're not it's not your role to teach people of what does it mean to be a woman of color in the university it's not your role to spend an hour of your life, which I appreciate on my podcast and instructing me. But can you say something about where you see the people who walk past your event? You know, let's say I'm just going to make a broad generalization. Many of the white students at Harvard who say, not my issue, don't know how to get involved, complicated, don't know enough about it, rather stay away from this one. Mm -hmm. You know, don't want to be caught in the, I'm against free speech, I'm for this. Right. Um, how do you what uh, and I know this is not your role, but I'm just going to ask you, like, what would you say to the freshmen coming in this year? Right. They're arriving on August yeah. 12th or whatever. Like, you know, what should be your role on this campus? Because if the institution didn't really profess its values. Right. This is something that my, a lot of my white friends tell me often is like, we get it like you're tired and we, we do. But, you know, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be thinking this way about campus. And it's kind of like. Oh, God. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. This actually does make a difference, but it's, it's hard because it is such exhausting work. And I think that part of me is saying, like, my stepping away from this is making way for new leadership, making yeah. way for, for new people yeah. to experience and, and fresh ideas and fresh faces and voices. Yeah. I think I've done my time. Nicholas and I have done our time. We've yeah. worked to get a space for belonging on campus or what some people would say a, a multicultural center yeah that's work the hard work that we we did and so i think we're we're moving on yeah so that's yeah. great and that's also your student you're going to grow and learn and you you're leaving it probably in a slightly better place i think yeah that's yeah to me. Um, so yeah. I do want to thank you. I also want to note that the editorials you've written for The Crimson, they're going to live on. I think for a lot of people, there'll be reference points for how to do this work. So, you know, I can say it's really, for me, it's heartening. And I'm happy to see students like you and Nicholas, because I'm a teacher. So I've been teaching in the university for 21 years. 
mm-hmm. and I learned enormous amounts from this from all the students. So I think it's great. Yeah. So, so I think you should go on and <laughs> but feel also you've already made this difference. Yeah, it's, that's it's awesome. Good. Also, I don't know if you've seen, but I also published a blog post for the Knight Foundation about this. Um, I did see that. It's, yes, it's okay. on, on the Knight Foundation's website, right? It's about right. These, these issues disentangling the speech issue from, so who gets put on what side? Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Just making sure you saw it. Are you going to keep on writing, do you think? Yeah. So I'm planning on applying for another column. Don't know about what yet. Yeah. Nicholas and I were also talking about writing a play together, maybe. So we'll see. Really good. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So, Salma, I really want to thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope to be in touch in the future. Okay. Yeah, thank okay. you so much. Thanks for joining Unmuted. Thank you. Have okay. a good one. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.